0: Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast, where it's all about enhancing your daily work, so that you will be able to create embedded systems you can be proud of. I'm Georg Lohre, and I will be your host during this episode. In this episode, we will discuss why bug hunters are scarce resources, and how to improve your skills to become a more successful bug hunter in the embedded world. I will give you my seven main bullets to improve your bug hunting skills to a new level. Keen on getting closer? Stay tuned and be inspired. Hi, what's up, everybody? First of all, let's have some feedback to the last episode. I've wanted to thank you guys very much here. I received a lot and tons of hints and tips about this one, mainly about my audio quality at least, as you know, I'm not an audio audio guy, so it's really complicated a little bit it's a little bit challenging for me to find the right adjustment and the right setup to make a good and acceptable recording here. It was also some problems with the microphone here and with the pre-amplification and the clipping and all that stuff. So I've had a lot to learn. It was really, yeah, it was marvelous that time. And thank you for your support. That's really great. I appreciate it that much. Okay. Okay, let's then come to this episode. First of all, some restriction here. This episode is not about debugging as an action. So you will not get any kind of explanations about your hardware debuggers, nasty GDB commands, JTAG adjustments or tricky s combinations. You know, as a good saw does not make a good carpenter or a better car does not make you a better driver, it also means that... Buck hunting is something which has a really personal attitude. It means it belongs heavily to your own state setup and to your own mind how you approach this kind of hunting activity. I have explicitly used this term hunting because from my perspective it's really something we have to hunt. We are very often hiding, and uh, it's not that easy to find the bugs. The easy ones we don't want to discuss today, but about the other ones, you need, from my perspective, a quite good personal mindset up for on that one. Okay, but first, let's have a look on why do we need bug hunters? So, successful hunting of hardware and software bugs is no profession. So, it's also even not educated at all. The only thing or mostly all what you get out of education for IT professionals are mostly ignoring the fact of bugs or we are simply assuming that you or others do not even make any errors. Which is of course true and uh, not true of course and it's the it's wrong approach here. The only thing you might receive or you are forced to experience is the training on the job. So that means the knowledge about buck hunting is mainly empirical. That means you need a lot of intention and also experience to become better. Many of us have undergone this painful and stony way by themselves. I know what I'm talking for. This episode is about presenting my experiences, which I have collected over the years. I will tell you some guts to become a solid buck hunter, much more faster and more reliably. Moreover, Following these tracks might even let you think more consciously about preventing, preventing bugs at all. It's From my perspective, it's a training on the job is essential here. And your knowledge will be mainly empirical. But why not use the empirical knowledge of the others? That leads us to the question, what's effectively missing for buck hunters? Where are first of all, where are the guidelines or the distribution of knowledge at all? There is no regular exchange of experiences and occurrences of failures. Most engineers only learn from their own mistakes. However, there are ten thousands of other engineers who might share their experiences too. Even the most experienced engineers would take the chance to improve their own bug hunting approaches. But there is no distribution. There is no sharing in a bigger audience. I was confronted with a lot of bugs and problems within my, within my professional life. Perhaps you have experienced the same. Let's use this episode to share our experiences and participate from each other to become more effective and more efficient engineers. Overall, it's belonging to buck hunting. It's all about your intention and personal motivation, your experience and sometimes also your guts feeling. Your intuition might be sometimes the only asset you have. Let's take this opportunity and collect some bug hunting approaches and learn from each other. OK. Let's come to the point here. How to improve the buck hunting skills. How to improve your buck hunting skills. Use my list of seven bullet points to become a successful buck hunter. These details are the result of more than two decades of buck hunting and buck prevention. Let's start with the first one. General approach. This means the general approach you take when doing buck hunting. This is more or less some kind of activity you do. From my perspective, we have two different approaches. Where is on one side? Where is the destructive approach? So you do it the way that you drill down and strip off your uh, your source code up to the point at the uh, as the mistake or failure vanishes. So you go back in principle or strip it off, minimize it to the bare point that the error is no longer observable. And then you know, ah, when... The removed lines must somehow contain the error. So this is one one aspect. The other aspect is what very often is done to instrument your code. This uh, this instrumenting the code means simply something like that you put in in the in the most bare um, approach you put uh, print fs inside some some outputting and saying in the output console log you then see step one step two step three and so on. And suddenly it vanishes, and step number five is no longer visible. So somewhere, or somewhere in between step number four and step number five, the operation in between must have failed the system. So that's quite an easy approach. That's something first class, yeah. So but this is a general destructive approach. You use it by modifying the code and, and, and changing it to find the error. This has also immediately to the drawback that, finally, it does not necessarily um, point to the real error. You only get some indication of the absence of the error afterwards. But if you have, for example, some errors like um, overwriting memory, uh, memory uh, parts or memory destinations or have memory leaks, removing the code and this, the, this destructive approach might lead you full. So it might, it might lead you to nowhere. So the error might uh, might be uh, vanishing, but finally it does not mean that you have gotten it. So it simply has jumped to another to another point of the, or to the other place of the system, or it's now at moment not valid anymore. If you imagine, for example, you run into some memory leakage, and when you eliminate the point of uh, or you eliminate the the. Um, the the triggering part you have inside to provoke this memory leakage that does not mean that the memory leakage is no longer available or no longer inside it's still no longer valid at that point so you have not removed it by remove your trigger part of the code okay that, let's come to the 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 other part of this general approach what's the non-destructive approaches this is very often the the bare desktop work yeah so you have this kind of Go back in your revisions until the problem disappears and then dive deeper. So this is regularly something with the version control system. Very often you see the the place that it's mentioned. Yeah, this error has not occurred within the last 10 versions, but now it's available. What has gone differently? Yeah, within some kind of continuous integration systems, this approach might sometimes lead to a successful end. But very often, if you have tons of contribution, if you have thousands of lines of codes which are introduced every day, this approach might end to nowhere. It might lead you to on the wrong track too. So this is only something to be mentioned. Sometimes it leads to the point, especially if you have uh, components which fail, complete components, and then you can go back and say, okay, with that component from the pre-delivery it was successfully integrated, it was possible to use, and now it's no longer usable. So it's mainly in this component. But very exactly, you simply don't know it. So, and then the other uh, non-destructive approach is finally that you get the real big picture of the everything inside of this particular situation so you try to study exactly what's going into the system what's going out of the system which are the transitions what are the requirements and which are the constraints here and if you take all that together sometimes you get also the picture what's really going wrong very often we have this situation that for example a, a wrong input situation is used or something something which uh, s- uh, some feature is required which is not even in- implemented yeah if, if you, for example, find an error and this occurs and the feature which is responsible to provide the function is not even implemented, yeah, you won't see it and it, it will occur as an error. So you have to keep the whole picture in mind. Very often this part is done by some kind of software architect. Okay, this was the first point in my list of seven bullet points to become a successful buckhunter, the general approaches. Let's come to point number two. This is, from my perspective, the most important one. That's your personal mindset. You must become a detective. And I really mean a detective. You need to feel the excitement of hunting the failure. So what does that mean? How, does, how do uh, detectives behave? If you look for all these criminal series all around, with homicide and all that stuff, um, very often it's not really the police work which is done or the detective work. As far as I know, the detective words first start with collecting facts. Yeah, so that means you have to collect all the facts you have available about your particular problem. That could mean what you, for example, paint it down all on a big whiteboard. So if you have, especially if you have a lot of people in the same room or which are accessible within the same room, one use a particular whiteboard, at least one which is not wiped out in the evening. So and. Or you use a mind map, for example, mind program like mindmeister, xmind.net, or all the other ones which are available to collect that one. Or you use um, a tool which is uh, usable to um, to share with all the others. There are lots of them on the market. Every multidimensional tool is fine to collect the facts which are very often multidimensional. You have time-related, location-related, you have uh, runtime-related, you have uh, prerequisite-related stuff, and all that, man, is not connected immediately with each other. It's only simply a fact. By the way, using mail for investigating with a lot of people is the most baddest medium to collect this kind of knowledge. Yeah? Don't do it. Okay, that was collecting facts inside of the detective mindset. Let's come to the next point here. What do the detectives regularly do? If we have done the collection of facts, yeah, we point out suspects. So there are suspects. We are detected. We are evaluated, classified, and finally validated. That's exactly also what you should do. Detect your suspective uh, issues here detect or classify them finally, and then validate them. And exactly that is essential. When you might most necessarily have to modify your code, you have to do the non-destructive or destructive approach from the first bullet point. That was the first two ones. Collecting fact, collect suspects. Third one, very essential, do not trust witnesses. (laughs) Sounds, Sounds weird, but this is my experience here over the years. You have 20 witnesses and 20 different Attitudes and points of uh, points of perspective, so you cannot even trust that all the time. What was what has been really observed and what has been already concluded? Distinguish these things. Very often conclusions are pointed out as observations, but that's wrong. Insist on to get the bare observation and make your conclusions by yourself that's essential it's up to you to understand what's going on not to simply grab the understanding of someone else and push it forward or rely on it you have to understand why it is like that if you don't understand when dig deeper until you got it collect facts collect suspects do not trust witnesses so and the fourth is then create your own track do not simply follow blindfolded the track of previous analysts. I cannot say it once more here. So it's very often not recognized. It's up to you to follow your track. You can, of course, take some yeah, some, uh, some proposals or some, uh, some hints by others. But finally, you must see your track in front of you. Don't poke in the dark. If there is darkness, then put light into it. Yeah, And light into it, you could do it by instrumenting your code, for example, to see what's going on. Have hardware support at that point. Have software support. Have simulator support. Whatever you want, bring light into your darkness. Create your own track. What's going on? After that fall here, that's very often you come to the point where Simply, you you didn't catch it. It, It's simply not available. You You have done everything. You have collected the facts. You have pointed out the suspects. You don't trust witnesses. You have built your own track. But you're not at the goal. You don't have pointed out the bug. So, what to do? Then, very often, it's helpful to think like one of the biggest or the most famous detectives which have ever lived or which ever were created, he has not lived at all. It's Sherlock Holmes. And one of the most famous quotation by Sherlock is, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. So what I mean is, think the impossible. If you have done all the possible things, finally, there must be something impossible not in a technical matter, of course, because it seems to be not impossible, but impossible from your current understanding and current perspective to be realizable. So you have to think about how could the impossible be true? If you, for example, have um, um, a memory leak or you have um, a memory corruption somewhere and you have digged out everything, what's going on? When start to think the impossible, and impossible are sometimes hardware failures, compiler failures, things of misusage, um, mask failures, things like that. Try to think into that direction. We seldomly, but sometimes we have pointed out an error finally because someone was studying the errata notes of the manufacturer and found something inside pointing exactly to our bug. We We describe what you can observe in their error attack because the chip has has an error and we were searching for hours and for days and didn't find anything. Regular questions as a support for this kind of approach with Sherlock Holmes are let's imagine. Yeah, start your question with let's imagine this one is true. What else must be true that the overall scenario sustains with that failure? Think them probable. Yeah? Try it, give it-give it a try. Okay, so we have five different aspects for the detective mindset. Collect the facts, collect the suspects, do not trust witnesses, create your own track, think like Sherlock Holmes, and now the final one, sometimes. You do must do something like good cop and bad cop. Or maybe a little bit more closer, is the devil's advocate. That means One of you makes an assumption on base of the existing symptoms and facts and the other one tries to do his best to disprove this theory. So, work with approval and disproval of a theory. Raise the theory and make approval and disproval or disproval and approval. Vice versa. So, the one who has raised the theory tries to sustain with this theory as long as possible and the other one tries to disprove it. And you might see this kind of change in your perspective. This kind of changing your point of um, yeah of uh, of visibility will dramatically impact your approach on finding a special special kind of bugs, especially the very difficult ones. Okay, that was the detective's mindset. Let's come to the third one. We have had the general approaches, the detective's mindset, and now. Let's imagine the system is correct. That's personally my absolute favorite. I have done the biggest progress and the biggest success with that approach. What does that mean? Imagine the system is correct. Very often I change my perspective or my mindset in that way that I do not longer face the failure as a mistake. I simply tell myself how exactly must the system behave to achieve exactly that phenomenon we are currently observing. So you see, the difference is now, I'm no longer thinking that the system is behaving wrongly. I observe that the system is correctly behaving, absolutely correctly. It's done by intention. So my presupposition here is the phenomenon we observe is done by intention whether it really was done by intention or only because I assume the intention is neglectable. And then the next question in that step would be, what exactly does the system do to behave in the observed way? I mean, that's very often a step into the source code. You observe a particular behavior. And then if you then change your perspective or you change your mindset and say, this is intention, then this intention must be recognizable in the source code. You must see this intention. And then if you go through the source code, very often, I only have studied within the last five or six years, I have only studied um, source code from other engineers, not my own one. And very often you come to the point where you see, here it is done, and this is the point where the system behaves exactly like it is written inside it's wrong in the overall scenario it's a failure in our in our general understanding but in this particular understanding the system behaves absolutely correct according to the source code so and this makes things very often very uh, much more smoother if you no longer think in the categories of failures and mistakes but think in the category of intention and think in the ca- in the category of correctness yeah so change your mindset, give it a try here with, to imagine that the system is correct. So we have had to, uh, in the list of seven uh, main bullet points to become a successful buckhunter, we have had the general approaches, the detective's mindset, and now the imagine the system is correct. And now something which is very often um, neglected, the internal resources. What I mean is, I got regularly stuck into bug hunting situations uh, and I am losing um, control because of I do not understand what's going on. I do not understand the system. I do not understand its reaction. I do not understand the features which are used. I do not understand the test case and all that stuff. But this might be understandable if you have the right persons at your fingertips. But for that one, you need to know Who are the right persons? And here, my personal favorite comes into into the game here. I prefer something like a skill matrix. I mean, this can be a bare Excel sheet. Something like answering you question like, who can I ask for what exactly? If you are long enough in the company you might know it out of mind. You simply know it. Uh, I can ask for other reasons that belong in that one. I can ask this guy. And the other one is more for the architecture. And the other one is for that. And so on. But there should be something like, someone of your guys should know who could be asked for what. And you should know who is the senior for what. Not not the one who has just started with that stuff. But who is the senior. And who knows very, very many details. Who is the expert. Very often, this kind of seniors and experts are no longer working in that position. But we have, out of years of experience, we have tons of details we can tell you. We have the big picture. And you need to nail down these persons. You have to find them. If you want to become a successful hunter. You need to know everybody here so who is responsible in your area. So don't, don't stay in your cubicle and try to resolve your problems by yourself. Use this one. Use your internal resources you have. And for example, ask your lead managers for some kind of skill matrix. Or if that's not available, then do it by yourself. Try and start to collect. Ask with your colleagues in the nearby cubicle, in the next room, in the next floor. Hey guys, what are you doing? What exactly is your is your uh, details? And what is exactly your point of goal doing in, in your whole daily work? Yeah. And also, for your personal attitude, this kind of skill matrix becomes a very virtual instrument. Because you can point out where do I personally need an improvement in knowing and understanding my system. I very often observe the point that I have not enough knowledge for a particular uh, technology. Yeah. For example, I run very often in the beginning in problems with the serial rapid IO. I have no clue about that or about digital signal processor or um, memory caching or the, the Linux kernel at all or something else here. How are um, how are hardware chips um, used? What, what does... Um, what does different um, protocols mean, how we are organized, how is the electrical or the optical to electrical conversion be done and so on. But what I always have tried to have is my buddies, the ones who know. And if there is nobody who knows directly, I want to have someone who knows someone else who knows. Yeah, you know, this kind of chain. That's exactly the approach that that all these uh, social networks like LinkedIn, for example, are doing. That also means it will be your personal task to expand your personal who's who. That's one of the first steps I do if I jump into the new project. I do not want to get uh, familiar with the guys in the same room. Uh, Of course, also with that one, but this is a, a matter of one day. But then I want to understand who is doing what in the whole project, who is responsible for what, which are the the deep expertises of all these guys to get the big picture. This is for me, this, this is a major part of achieving the big picture of the whole overall scenario. And as more as I understand the big picture, as quicker I can resolve failures and successfully hunt bugs down. Okay, so we have had the general approaches in one. Second was the detective mindset. Third was imagine the system is correct. And fourth was now use your internal resources. When the fifth bullet point here. Very often in planning of of software and hardware projects, this kind of maintenance time, I mean hunting bugs down, is underestimated. Heavily underestimated. I heard things like, you need something like 15 to 20% of the overall effort for maintenance. So meaning bringing into operation and hunting bugs. This is definitely not true. More like the truth is you need something like 50 to 70%. It heavily depends on the planning in before. So as better your planning is, as better your architecture and design is, as less you need for maintenance. But very often, due to the time constraint and the time pressure, these things are done quite, let's say, suboptimal. And then you have the whole clash at the very end. And then you do not have to underestimate this kind of maintenance time. This is exactly a point for managers and project responsibles. Don't expect that if you get a promise for that the project or the feature you are urgently needing is provided in a very more or less impossible time but it is running successfully you might need to um take into account that there will be a lot of maintenance time afterwards to be spent so what i mean is it's always 100% of the effort the only question is when do you spend what part yeah so you can spend 20 or 30% for the uh, for the design and architecture when you have 70 to 80% in, after it's in implementation and maintenance, or you do it more or less vice versa. Any, any different approaches like continuous integration and Scrum and Agile, all that stuff here, pair programming, whatever you have and what, which will come up, does not change that dramatically. It's only a changing in the distribution of that effort. But it sustains the 100%. Have a look at all these approaches. There are always these kind of drawbacks because the people do not change. what I mean is also give the engineers and developers the time to concentrate on their problems. That directly leads us to the sixth point in the bullet list here. There is no multitasking in human brains. I mean, of course, you can have a walk and listen to this podcast. Of course, you can have a walk and discuss with your spouse or you can have um, do some work in the garden and listen to your music or you can ride a bike or drive a car and listen to the music but these are always in a different channel and you don't have to put your full attention your full attention on this kind of information you, maybe you have remembered it one time when you are pick up a phone in the car and take a call And um, when suddenly the call is finished and you look around and you are wondering where you are, simply you have completely eliminated that channel of thriving. It has to be done more or less unconsciously. And this is the main challenge here in that point if you have to hunt bugs. Very often, managers and project responsibles do not take into account that medical studies have unveiled But every context switch in human behavior costs you something around 30 minutes until you are fully back in the original context. What does that mean? Every time you are interrupted with your current work, you are just having gotten deep inside and you understand what's going on and you're just going to go deeper and deeper and step by step forward when you get an interruption and then you jump over to the other context to fix something or like that. Uh, And when you stay there, something like 30 minutes, 50 minutes, one and a half hour whatsoever, then afterwards you need at least half an hour to come back into the original context until the very first, until the the very last station you were, before you were interrupted. So that means if you are interrupted, that will be immediately some kind of waste. If you have four interruptions per day, we have already wasted two hours of working time by that engineer. Eight interruptions, and this must be no exception in particular jobs, means four hours of waste. So finally, with eight interruptions, you have put the effectivity and the efficiency of the engineer to 50% per day. Uh, most likely not what the one what you want, finally. And interrupting the guys too many and too often simply thwarts the goals you are intending to fulfill. So keep a mind on that and don't don't uh, overstress it here with the interruption and the context switches. We have now six of the seven bullet points to become a successful buck hunter. It was first the general approaches with the destructive and non-destructive approach, The detective's mindset you should achieve, then to imagine that the system is correct. Some kind of mindset changing. Use your internal resources as an asset. When the estimation of maintenance times, which is regularly underestimated, and now the context switches, which are waste of effort, and finally now the last point, and this is some point which points into the future of bug hunting. It's simple. It's only narrate your problems. Tell the others about your problems. Make make something which the Japanese call yokotenkai. That's best practice sharing. In this perspective or from this perspective of bug hunting it means make the failures public. Prevent their reoccurrence in your company. In your organization. Whatever this organization is, they always try to prevent this particular kind of bug. How often do we have had the situation that we have found a bug? It was really an ugly thing and it was embarrassing and painful and whatsoever. You, you know these kind of situations. And then you say, okay, hopefully I cross fingers that it will never never happen again. But two, three, four years later, bang the same problem appears again and raises its ugly head <laughs> this is something you yeah you don't have to undergo that way so always spread and uh, yeah and share your experience with failures so this means finally here that a good telling of failures and particular failures in specific system will prevent New failures, much more better than theoretical approaches about how failures might look like and how uh, failures could be classified and how to use the debugger and all that stuff. But you have to, you should have some kind of lessons learned sessions. I, I know this is a buzzword. Some guys of you might not hear that well, but if it's done seriously. Lessons learned. This could be really an asset for everybody of us. So, these were the seven bullet points to become a more successful bug hunter from my perspective. Now I'd love to hear from you. What's your experience in hunting bugs in software and hardware? How do you do bug hunting? What are your preferred approaches for buck hunting? What kind of challenges do you observe in your buck hunting and being a buck hunter? Do you have a habit or usage what I didn't list here? Or do you want to agree or disagree with me about these approaches? I'd love to hear from you. Please comment on the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode two, And let me know your experience, your thinking and what you're using and how you're using it. You can get this list of bug hunting skills that I recommended in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com episode 02. And I'd love to hear from you what hunting skills you use and what are your experiences. Please comment there on the show notes and let me know what you think. Also send me your feedback for future episodes on the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. You can ask questions, send me suggestions about things you'd like me to cover about how to master embedded systems. Just email feedback at embeddedsuccess.com Or give me a Twitter message to at Georg Laura. And I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode. If so, I would very much appreciate if you could grant me a rating at at iTunes or Stitcher. Both of them are meanwhile registered or I have registered the podcast there, finally achieved that one. And moreover, any kind of honest feedback are welcome or is welcome. All the links, mentions and notes are available in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 02. Thank you for listening on this episode. I look forward to hearing you again in next week's episode. Ciao.